Hi coaches and welcome to this episode of the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Today I speak with Alison Ojeda, who is currently the head women's tennis coach at the University of Tennessee, where she was also a standout player. Her coaching career to date includes assistant coaching roles at Texas A&M, Alabama and Baylor, and a five-year head coaching role at Middle Tennessee State University. Allison shares how she was a better assistant coach the second time around at Baylor, and also how she thinks she was a better head coach the second time around at the University of Tennessee. How her coaching style has changed through the years, and how it might evolve further when she becomes a mother in just a few weeks' time. Allison Ojeda, thank you for joining me on the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here with you. Yeah, I know you're you're very busy right now in in the middle of your season. So really, I say this to all the coaches I interview during the season. I know how crazy it is. So appreciate you taking some time. I know you've got this weekend off, so hopefully you enjoy it. And and I know you're back uh, back to the grind uh, the following weekend. So best of luck with yeah. the matches going forward. Thank you. Okay, so as I was doing some research for the interview today, I was reading up on you a little bit, and one of the articles I saw that. By your junior year in college, you had decided, okay, I, I want to be a college coach. This is my career path. This is what I want to do. So how was the job maybe different than what you thought it was going to be when you were a student athlete? Yeah, I think, you know, Mike used to joke around all the time. Mike Patrick was my old coach and he used to joke around with our team, like, you know, on the days that were tough for him, he'd be like, I can't believe my job depends on a bunch of 18 to 22 year old kids. And and as an 18 to 22 year old kid, we'd laugh and be like, yeah, whatever, we're fine. And then you get older and you realize, oh, wow, like, there is a lot that goes into this job that, that we as college tennis players, we're not even thinking about, you know, I mean, the university provides so many resources for us that we don't even have to think twice about where we're getting food that day from or what clothes we're putting on for practice or who booked the hotel or the van or the flight. Like you just don't think about that stuff. And I think that's a good thing. I don't want our, our student athletes having to think about all that. But with that said, as a head coach, you do have to think about all that. And you try and figure out, you know, what allows our team the best opportunities to get enough rest, to miss as little school, to prepare as well as we can. You know, I think it differs in that way, but just simply from not knowing, you know, just not having experienced that part of the job before. Yeah. And then, so how's the job maybe evolved? Like, do you think the head coach's role, like what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis or prioritizing from one day to the next compared to what maybe Mike was doing, you know, a couple of decades ago, has, has it changed? Has it evolved? I think it's evolved a lot. I would say, honestly, now it is, it's a different job. You know, Mike back in the day was driving 12 passenger vans and I'm not even allowed to drive a van here. They're like, no, you guys have to take a, a bus and we're going to charter it. It's not safe if you guys are driving back at 10 p.m. after a match, you know. So I think it's changed a lot in terms of liability, you know, which works more for, you know, for us coaches. It allows us to go ahead and focus on our job. And I would say in every aspect, right? Like, and so these universities are making sure that the student athletes health and wellness and mental, mental health, everything is taken care of. So we've got, we just have so many more resources, whether it's a dietitian or a sports psychologist, we have a full-time trainer. Now we, we didn't used to have all that stuff. And so I think a coach used to take on so many different roles, whereas now our job, depending on what university you're at is to make sure your student athletes are taken care of, you know, stay compliant, graduate student athletes and, and do your best to win. So I think it's evolved in that aspect, but I also think there's so many more assistant coaches now who can actually make a living being an assistant coach. Whereas back in the day, you couldn't, 
So right. financially, people are just paying more. Right. And with like those increased staffing and, and resources, like if we go back to when we played and there wasn't necessarily a full-time trainer and we probably weren't staying within the compliance 20 <laughs> hours a week and we didn't have, you know, the recovery modalities and things like that. Right. I feel like we got injured a lot less. So is there, you know, is there some, I guess, truth to, you know, the more staff you have in those roles are, are student athletes, I don't want to say they're making stuff up. They're not making stuff up, but are they more prone to gravitate to spending time with those folks and maybe having to sit out practices or matches that maybe you and I wouldn't have? I think that's the most politically correct way I can say all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to be careful with this one. Yeah, I, I think the answer to that is yes. And not because you or I didn't feel pain 20 years ago in a way that's different to what the student athletes now are feeling pain. It's just now they have somebody to voice it to, you know, right, that is right there at all times. Whereas back in the day, you or I had to decide, oh, do I really want to stop practice, walk over to the training room on the other side of the campus and and then really they're going to tell me I'm fine, just tough it out. And then I come back and I jump in practice. Now I've missed practice. Now I'm fine. You know, and so, so we could think that yeah. way. Whereas, whereas now, and I do think a lot of it goes back to that liability deal, but now the universities are, they are putting student athletes first for sure. So yes, yeah, so if you have a trainer there and you have a stomach ache, you're going to let them know. And the trainer's going to come with some little Pepsid and try and take care of you. But, but I think that when it's all said and done, I think that the, the roles have, have certainly changed. Coaches used to be able to push a lot more and there's less regard to overall student athlete well-being, even though they still loved you as coaches. But now I think I do, I think we have to be really cautious with how far we push push players because mental health is a very real issue and things are just different now than they used to be. Yeah, I might circle back to that in, in a little while. Yeah. But good answer. So you served as uh, three years as an assistant coach at Texas A&M in Alabama. And then you went on to be the head coach at Middle Tennessee, Tennessee State for five years. After all that experience, some people might think you took a step back by then going to be an assistant at Baylor. Um, would, why make that decision? Why did that make sense to you at that time in your life? So Joan Cronin was our athletic director here on the women's side at Tennessee when I played. And then you got Mike Patrick, who uh, is still one of my mentors, Dare Worrell. And so there's some people who are still very influential in my life who have been a part of college athletics at the highest level. And those have been the people who have called for advice when it comes to, to applying for or accepting jobs. And so I had played at Tennessee, went straight to Texas A&M, like you said, in Alabama, and actually received a phone call to, to go be the assistant coach at Georgia Tech, where Brian was like, Allison, come come do this. We're going to win a national championship this year, which they ended up doing, and I was not there for it. <laughs> or take the job at Middle Tennessee. And, and I was leaning more towards the Georgia Tech deal, but all three of my mentors said, no, like you don't need another, you don't need another assistant position on your resume. Go be a head coach. It's time to, to get your feet wet and see what this is all about. So at 25, going to be a head coach was quite interesting. So I, I spent those five years at middle. I learned a lot and I'm unbelievably thankful for what I've learned. But I also learned that that wasn't the level that I personally wanted to be at. I wanted to be somewhere where we had resources to be incredibly successful. And if that meant 
that I got fired for losing, then I, I was going to, that, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to sit, be said, here's, here are the resources for you and your team to succeed. And if you don't win, we're going to go to somebody else. So for me personally, that's what I wanted. And so I think I got to a point where Joey called at Baylor. They, the year before they were one in the country, they were going to be a top five team that upcoming year. My two sisters just had a couple of newborns. My family was all in San Antonio. And, and I just thought, yeah, I really, I don't mind what other people think of this decision. I want to go learn from, from arguably one of the best coaches in the country and, uh, and see what he's doing and what can I do so that, that I can help his program and what can I learn from him. And uh, so when I spoke to my mentors again, a couple of them felt the same as I did. One didn't. And, and then I've, figured all right I'm 30 years old I get to make this this choice and so I went very good and yeah. I always think that those that have been a head coach would then make the best assistance like I think if I went to be an yeah. assistant coach now I'd be phenomenal what did you think you you know uh, I guess brought to that program but how were you maybe a better assistant coach the second time around I completely agree with you I think and I think it's normal, but I think your best assistant coaches just assume that they would do a better job as a head coach or could do an amazing job as a head coach. And it goes back to what we talked about a while ago. You just don't know what you don't know yet. And so I actually feel like as an assistant coach, you get to spend way more time on the tennis court and doing just tennis stuff. And whereas as a head coach, there's a lot more to it. One of the best things that Joey said to me before I even took the job with him is he said, I want to, he said, I've got a winning formula. And, and I want someone who's willing to come jump on board with me. I don't want an, I told you so person. And I remember thinking, what does that even mean? And, and we talked through it and, and basically he was like, look, I'm going to ask your input. I'm going to ask your advice, but when it's all said and done, I'm going to make the decision and, and I will make some wrong decisions. And when I do, I don't want someone telling me, I told you so. And I'm like, oh yeah, definitely. And so I think my experience there with Joey was it was incredible. I learned a ton from him and I was a way better assistant coach than I was for Bobby at Texas A&M or Jenny at Alabama, just simply because I know what it feels like to put your head down at night and go to sleep with recruiting on your mind, with a student athlete's injury on your mind, with grades on your mind. And, and I know what that feels like. And, and most assistants don't know that feeling uh, to the extent that we as head coaches do. So so I think that helped a lot. So when Joey made certain decisions that he did, and if the team, you know, had questions about it, they tend to go to the assistant coach. And I was always able to be on Joey's side because I could explain things to them. And, and I think that helped a lot. Yeah, makes sense. And then so you then go back to your alma mater as the head coach where you currently are at the University of Tennessee. And so then kind of extending the last question, how were you a better head coach this time around? What were some of the things that you did maybe learn at Baylor or from Joey or reflecting upon your previous experiences as a head coach that have made you the coach you are today, I guess? So I think, and this is, this is really interesting because when you asked this question, I thought about for a while, or when I knew the question was coming, I thought about for a while. And prior to going to Baylor, every, everything that I did in my mind was how can I make this individual the best that they can be so that the team could get to where we wanted to go. And with Joey, I realized you can't always do that, you know? So like, instead let's flip flop that mentality. And what do I need to do to help make this team the best I can possibly, the best they can possibly be. And sometimes that means bringing an individual in to, to just help them 
kind of become accountable for the decisions that they're making. And, and that, that was tough. And it still is tough for me because yeah, like I want every individual to succeed. And, you know, I, I wish that every individual could experience playing in the lineup, but that's not the way it is. So I would say that that was a big difference. This certainly has helped me become a better head coach. Yeah, very good. And then is there something then over the course of your career, and we talked about, you know, different generations of playing, and we'll get back into that in a few minutes. But is there something, whether it's from, you know, player development, you know, recruiting, how you coach doubles, is there anything that you've really changed your mind on, whether it's the influence of your mentors, or just things that you've figured out that this really isn't working, I need to take a, a different approach here? One thing that has always stayed the same for me is at the highest level of college tennis on the women's side, your athletes are running pretty well. They're putting a lot of tennis balls on the court and they're willing to stay out there all day long. And so I think there was a time where I got away from that a little bit and thought, all right, let me like, let's try and find some players that have some weapons and who can do a little bit more. And, and in getting away from that just a little bit, I start to realize like, all right, but there's still something to be said for those players who are willing to stay out there all day and put a thousand balls in the court and who are fit, right? Who They're fast. So there was about two years where I started in my mind to recruit that way, started seeing stuff. And then thankfully, I personally would still rather have a team who's willing to be out on the court all day long. I think if, if you're willing to do those few things well, then I think you're always going to be a top 20, top 25 team in the country. And now we can talk about having some strengths and weapons that are going to help you get, get to a higher level. So when you're out recruiting, you know, how, how are you uh, evaluating that then? I mean, are, are you looking at, at foot speed or, or technique or, or maybe, you know, how, how do you figure out, okay, this player has that foundational you know, makeup that I want to see in a player or, you know, if you see that, are you then trying to convince them to double down on that more? Because a lot of players will say, well, I want to get to the net more and I, you know, <laughs> right. I want to develop a weapon and my coach is telling me, you know, I, I could have a really big forehand. You're like, no, no, no. I want you six feet behind the baseline grinding. How, how do you go about that in the recruiting process against finding those players and then encouraging them to maybe play that style a little bit more. So, so it's interesting. So I, I prefer, like I'll use the word patiently aggressive with our team a lot. So yeah. it's less that I want them six and seven feet behind the baseline grinding all day, but it's more that I want them to understand how to set up a point. And very rarely does a point just automatically lead you to the net. You know, there's anywhere from one to three shots, sometimes four shots before you get that midcourt ball or, or something that allows you to come forward. Mm -hmm. So it's more the mindset of, are you willing to stay back all day long at the baseline if that's what it takes to win while also still, you know, developing, right? Like let's, yeah, let's improve your serve. Let's, in my opinion, taking advantage of second serve returns is huge in the women's college game. I mean, you're pretty much starting with someone feeding you a short ball a lot of the times. And so, so go get that thing and come forward if you want to. So I'll look for that stuff in recruiting, but it's more for me personally, when I'm recruiting, I would love to try and see a player practice two, three, four days in a row. Um, you know, when you go to a competition, they're going to leave it all on the line. But if I can go to practice and watch what they're doing every day at practice, then, then you start to see them deal with some adversity and figure some stuff out. And so that's, that's more what I'm looking for. I'm certainly making sure that we're going to bring in a player who's able to move well on the court. It doesn't mean I'm not going to recruit we have, we have one player who's quite slow right now, but she's got a huge serve, big forehand, and her game is different than the rest of the team. So her points are going to be significantly shorter. And so, you know, that's something that was discussed on the front end from a recruiting standpoint. I'm not going to try and make that kid 
the fastest kid on the team who's willing to stay out here for four hours, I think her body will, will crumble, you know? So I think maximizing every player's games and as a coach being willing to, to see that on the front end and have those conversations is big. Yeah. I'd always get a kick out of the player who come to individual and say they want to work on their forehand volley. And it's like, until you can put five balls in the court, <laughs> how are you going to get to hit a forehand volley? Right. But, uh, yeah. 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 Sometimes more fun to work on that than uh, <laughs> grinding. So a lot of young coaches, I get this question a lot when I speak with younger coaches, and I think we all struggle with it. And we talked about the generational differences, but it's this idea, especially with the modern student athlete. And like you talked about the liability, it's it's how how do you hold these players to a high standard? How do you hold them accountable you know, have that culture, that kind of blue collar culture where everybody's working hard, everybody's engaged, everybody's willing to go through some adversity, sacrifice some things, but not push them to the point where they want to quit and they hate the sport. Right. And they're telling mommy and daddy that, you know, the coach is mean. How have you learned to strike that balance or has, has it evolved over time and have you had to shift how you approach that yeah those are really good questions and I think we could talk about this topic for hours because I think the reality is I think we have we coaches across the board have all had to shift the way we think simply because the transfer portal it's just made it so easy to to just tick a box and boom you can go talk to whoever you want to and so I think I think if we don't make those adjustments as coaches, then then I think we're going to find ourselves recruiting like crazy every single year to fill positions. And at the same time, we have to still hold true to who we are, you know, as as people. And I think the reality is, is at some point per athlete, I've got to decide how much how much am I going to let this particular student athlete grow in this area before it starts to have a negative impact on our team. And I think once, and I think that's important, right? I think that we have to make sure that we're really helping the younger players grow up, you know, like, and, and I don't mean that negatively, but, but none of us, how is it possible to, to get something that you've never been a part of yet, you know? And so, so I think that we have to figure out a way to push the younger players as much as we can while also really paying attention to their health and their their nutrition actually we get a lot of student athletes that come from overseas and they get here to the states and i mean it, the food is so different so like there's, there's so many areas academics are very different like we've got a you get a lot of these tennis players who have been homeschooled you know and then they get to college and now all of a sudden they have to go to class at a specific time and turn in homework at a certain time and so i think we have to make sure that we really teach all of, of that stuff while also pushing. And if at some point, for me personally, I'm willing to push through through struggles until they start affecting the team in a negative way. Once something starts to affect the team in a negative way, now it's time to have a more serious conversation. And, and then at that point, hopefully the student athlete is willing to make some changes. Otherwise, they're probably entering the transfer portal. So yeah, I don't know that I'm really answering your question, but I think Yes, I have had to evolve. There have been two players on my team actually here in the last few years where I knew I could not address a couple issues or else it was going to hit hit them in a spot that they didn't want to be hit and they would probably leave. And and unfortunately that's exactly what happened. And so so that's tough because I you know, I love every kid that's on our our team, but yeah, it, they're either we all of us are either helping the program do this or we're doing that. It's it's one way or the other. And so I think 
making sure that we hold true to who we are as coaches and making sure that we teach what the culture of our program is. I think that's important. And so would you say you're spending a lot more time one-on-one than maybe you did when you were a head coach at, say, Middle Tennessee State? Way more time. Way more. Way more time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And just in, in all on the court, off the court, phone, text, whatever, whatever is required. All, <laughs> all, all of it. Yeah. Because yeah. they're just, there are so many more distractions now than there used to be, especially when you and I were playing, you know, and all of those distractions, we can say as much as we want, like leave that at home. Like it's, it's time you're here. It's time to work. We could say that, but, but just as you and I were once 18, you know, like it's, it's hard to manage all of the outside distractions. And, and I would say they have 50 times more distractions than we did. So, yeah, I think I do. I think that, I think that we've taken on way different roles than the coaches did back in the past when it comes to making sure that student athletes are, they feel good every day when they come to practice and their lives feel put together as opposed to just Mm. completely stressed out at all times. That's, that's a lot of pressure for you guys to be holding on your shoulders it's it's hard enough to make ourselves feel good never mind (laughs) 10 10, 18 to 22 year olds but uh okay well we're going to switch gears a little bit here Allison so next five to six weeks you're going to be a mother uh congratulations have you thought at all about how that might change your outlook on coaching or your coaching philosophy or how you go about your day-to-day business trying to develop these young young adults? Yeah, I have. We have been trying to get pregnant for a couple of years. And so so I've had a couple of years to to really think through, all right, what what are some areas where I need to go ahead and to a certain extent let go of? So I think first and foremost, I I want to make sure that I put our family first for sure. And I feel like I've always done a pretty good job of that, but I've also always been able to, to like my spouse has always been able to be a part of what's going on, you know, with our program and things are going to be different, you know, with the kid. And so that's going to be different for sure. So making sure that, that our assistant coach is feeling appreciated, making sure that he has a humongous say in what's going on with the program, which he's been, Jared Chaplin has been unbelievable. And so we actually promoted him to associate head coach and and to be honest, I hope that one day I get to to share the title with him and we can be co-head coaches because he's he's outstanding. But I think making sure in order to make sure that he feels like he has a as big of a voice as I do in this program, I've got to let him take ownership of the team and make certain decisions, even if it would be different than what I would make. We're still gonna obviously converse about everything, but mm-hmm. and that's hard to do. You know, we all work our tail off for so long to get into the positions that we're in and then to feel like, all right, now I'm gonna back off and kind of let someone else do this. It's, that's tough. So that was hard for me for a little while, but at the same time, he's so good. And we talked through everything that a home run decision to make sure that, that I make him feel as confident in himself as a coach as possible. So I think having a great staff is going to help me be a better mom going through all of this with my team, you know, like in terms of trying to get pregnant, having a miscarriage that the girls have been unbelievable. And I wish that I knew as much about trying to get pregnant as as these girls now do, because a lot of people don't talk about miscarriages and the trials that you'll face. And so that's been interesting. But I think that I think for me personally, to be able to have a group of young women who are, they are ultimately very strong, confident, independent young women. And to have Fran and I to be able to have our daughter around the girls frequently, I think is going to, I think it's, that's going to be an unbelievable situation for, yeah, for our daughter. 
Yeah, no, I'm sure it'll be uh, great for, for everyone involved. And, you know, that leads me to my next question around your athletic department. And maybe as you have conversations with other coaches who have young families or maybe just a, a newborn, you know, do you feel like maybe the culture is changing around athletic departments and they're being more supportive of coaches and trying to figure out ways to work with them, maybe rather than against them and, and uh, be more supportive of them having young families, to be quite honest? Yeah, I think the answer across the board, I would say is yes. I'm not sure it's happening as quickly as, you know, as everybody, as, as women and moms hope it would happen. I can say here at Tennessee, the answer for sure is yes. And I, I mean, look, I'm 42 years old and I'm, I'm just now having my first kid simply because in my mind, I kept thinking, well, this year I got to go this summer to recruit so-and-so and you know, yeah. then I got to do this. So now is not the right time. Let me do this next year. And, you know, the, our bodies, our bodies don't have all the time in the world. <laughs> and so, so I think that fear of potentially losing my job to somebody who didn't have kids, you know, I think that at one point was something I thought of, whereas because of my age, I finally just had to say it, it's time. And so we had to go just do it. And obviously we're going to have this child right before SEC championships. So the timing, depending on who you talk to is, that's kind of rough. And uh, so I remember calling our current AD months back and just giving him the heads up. And I didn't even give him a chance to share his excitement. I just went straight into, but don't worry, I'm not going to take any time off. I'm, I'm going to keep <laughs> coaching. And, and then, uh, and he finally was like, Allison, and you know, my guest attorney is like, I'm gonna tell you this one time and he goes and I need you to remind yourself of this in April but he said family comes first period and he said we will do anything and everything that we possibly can to help help you as a as a mom out but he said family first and your team is in good hands with Jared we will make sure that your girls are taken care of you guys have done an outstanding job with the team and and we're here to support you and it's this is life and they have been unbelievable brilliant yeah, that's, yeah. that's really good to hear. And I hope that is yeah. the case uh, across the country or, or becoming more of the case going forward. So, I mean, just I in, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, and thank you for sharing all that, Allison. And, and yeah, exciting and best of luck and look forward to receiving some pictures, hopefully <laughs> Definitely. afterwards. But as we're talking about, you know, college administration, administrators, changes in, in college athletics, I mean, I have a son who actually just got back from two official visits for a different sport. And, and so he's getting ready nice. to go on, have a, hopefully a similar experience that myself and my wife had as, as college student athletes. But let's say when your daughter's getting ready in 18 years or so to sign her national letter of intent somewhere, what do you think the college landscape will, will look like? I mean, you know, are you having those conversations at Tennessee? Is it you know, is a question I'm asking everybody because I don't think anybody has an answer right now. It doesn't matter if it's the SEC commissioner or, you know, division three athletic director or whoever it is. It's like, everybody's just a little bit lost right now. But I guess if you could paint a picture as to how college athletics would look, the college athletic experience, anything along those lines, how, how do you hope it looks 18 years from now? How do I hope it looks versus how I think it will look might be a little bit different, but I, I actually, I do not think that we're going to have national letter of intents 20 years from now. I, I don't think that that will be a thing. I think 20 years from now, we are looking at a situation where, where maybe there's anywhere from 30 to 
to 45 schools who are, in my opinion, playing at more of a semi-pro type atmosphere. One in which, I mean, some schools are kind of already there. And so one in which I do think that that academics are still going to hold a high standard. But at the same time, I think that it will no longer look like you got to graduate in these four years or five years. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the idea of come here, compete, go to class. But if you want to make money via name, image, and likeness or whatever else is about to be on the table in the upcoming few years, I think that there's going to be a reality that people are going to be able to leave and go do what they want and come back and still get their degree. So I, I think there will always be a premium on academics because that's, you know, we're, we're working for these universities. I just think it's going to be more of a semi-pro type feel. And I guess my hope would be that 20 years from now, we as coaches are still in a role where we're able to teach life lessons. I don't want those to get lost in the shuffle if it's so easy to leave and go somewhere else. Or if so-and-so is going to offer you X amount of dollars and this other place is going to offer you something less, but the place who's offering you less is actually better for you. Like, I don't, I don't want people to miss out on development and growth because the one thing that is for sure is when you go to college, you're still 17, 18 years old, occasionally 19 years old. And so, so that's not changing. I still think that we are going to have student athletes at that age who are not quite developed yet. So I think that they need to be in a situation where they can mature and prepare for life. And, and so I hope that winning and money doesn't get in the way of, of developing people. Yeah. I just hope we're not all just playing tennis in the metaverse and, if you're a recruit from Ireland, you can just stay in Ireland and I guess do your classes online and <laughs> play video game tennis, but we'll, we'll see. But thank you for that uh, fascinating conversation and something that now that I'm not coaching anymore, this is the type of thing that keeps me up at night and worrying about, yeah, what is the future of Olympic sports and what, I, how yeah. Out. I, yeah. I actually personally, I'm, I don't feel worried about it because I think I do think, especially in the SEC with Commissioner Sankey, I think we've got some unbelievable leadership. And so I think their vision is just incredible. I think if we in Olympic sports are willing to make changes, then then I think we're going to be a part of what's going on 20 years from now. And I think if we're not willing to make changes, we won't be a part of it. And and to me, it you don't even have to be associated with co- college athletics to understand how much money is being made in college athletics, you know, but it's through TV and endorsements and sponsorships and marketing and football and basketball and baseball, softball is making money now at a lot of schools. And so I think, yeah, I think that if you look at these television contracts, in my opinion, we better figure out a way to get on TV or else we might actually be lost and left behind. So, so I think there's changes that are inevitably going to be made. It's just, can we go ahead and make them sooner than later? Mm. that's my thought yeah no it's it's uh absolutely i just did a podcast with jim lehrer and talked about that being open to change that change is really the only constant i mean people right. think whatever they have right now is the constant it's it's not the change is the constant and uh how do you be a part of that and be at the front of that rather than being a late adopter and maybe getting left behind completely so yeah it's definitely incumbent upon all of us to be open to change and um, just recognizing it's coming. So let's right. work together to get ahead of it. All right, Allison, let's go into some some rapid fire questions. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received from anyone in your life? It doesn't have to be tennis related. This one was tough. I'm, I thankfully received a lot of good advice, but I think as a young kid, 
my parents, my grandparents, everybody we were around made sure to always advise us to treat other the, others the way we wanted to be treated. And whether that was a stranger, an elderly, our sisters, our cousins, it didn't matter. And I think that one bit of advice every single day makes a huge impact in, in my life. So that was one. And then the second thing actually that I would say is uh, Pat Summit. She's got her definite dozen that's worth spending a solid 10 or 15 minutes looking at at some point later on, because that has helped impact my, my life in terms of adulthood a lot. Okay. Okay. Is there a book, podcast, article, passage, poem that's influenced your journey to date? Yeah. Um, so my freshman year in college, we had this, this machine that we would be on and, and it was like right in front of the wall and on the wall, there's a poster that said, somewhere someone is practicing and when you meet them in a tournament they will beat you <laughs> and and we and you would just stare at this but nobody really talked about it and as time went on we finally started talking about it and in my mind I was the someone who was practicing I wasn't on the other end of it and through talking with other friends they were like oh man we hate that poster um because they were on the other side of it and and so that was interesting to me because it, it made me realize, oh, wow, like perspective is really important. And mm. that wasn't just about tennis. That to me is everything in life. Yeah. Prepare. Yeah. Cool. What do you think your biggest strength is as a college coach? I think, I mean, I absolutely love what I do. So I still, regardless of what change we've experienced over the last 25 years in college sports, I, I wake up and I'm really excited to be at work. And and I think that helps a lot because naturally I'm an optimistic and positive person. So being around eight girls playing tennis and our assistant coach, like at the University of Tennessee, where I went to, it's just, it truly is a dream job. And so I think that allows me to have perspective. It allows me to have, it allows me, I think, more tools in terms of taking the time to understand what all these student athletes are going through and how we can help the university. And yeah, I think just, honestly, just loving what I do every day is a strength. That's a, a huge strength. What would you be doing, do you think, if you weren't coaching college tennis? You would ask me this a year ago. I would have said something to do with marketing or possibly being a high school teacher. All of my brother-in-laws and sisters, they are all teachers. But honestly, I think now that we're about to have this little girl, I would say probably just embrace everything that comes with being a mom until the kid is off in school and yeah, so probably just be a mom. And do you have a favorite drill you like to do with your team or that maybe you did as a player or any drills? My, love drills. <laughs> so my favorite, my absolute favorite thing about tennis in terms of shots was getting a, a short midcourt forehand. And so every single practice, I ended it with a basket of short forehands. And so for me personally, that was my thing. Um, I would say my favorite drill now has has to do with um, did you guys ever do the four corner drill where if it was me and you, I'd be stationed on the deuce side and I get to move you wherever I want for a minute and a half, two minutes, and then you're stationary. Mm -hmm. So, so to me, I would say as a coach, that's my favorite drill because there's a gut check involved. There's consistency involved. There's movement involved. If you get stretched out wide and you're nearing the end of those two minutes, you better understand shot selection so that you have time to recover. So it kind of incorporates a little bit of, of everything. And I think if you watch a freshman do that drill, 
versus a junior, it looks totally different. Okay, and when the day comes for you to retire many decades from now, what do you hope to have accomplished or what do you hope to be most proud of when you look back at your co college coaching career? Yeah, honestly, just hoping that I was able to make a positive impact in these student athletes' lives. And if I was able to do that and we won some matches along the way, then... I think that's a good thing. I was saying to somebody the other day, like as soon as you uh, stop coaching, like I, I can't remember hardly a match from my college coaching career. Like I just couldn't tell you. Maybe some people could like, oh, I remember on this date, we played this and the score was this. And it came like, maybe I just have a terrible memory, but those matches that felt so important in the moment, I can't, I can't remember for the life of me. It's, it's amazing how quickly you kind of move on, right? And if, even if you think back to previous seasons, right? Right. You're so present on this season, your next match on March 4th, I think against Mississippi State, that's all you're thinking about. You probably can't <laughs> right. even remember your match with them last year. No, that's, yeah. I think yeah. there's so much truth to that. And, and now a lot of the players that I started off coaching, they have kids, you know, who are four and five years old. Some of my yeah. players are just having newborns. And when those, you know, when those players reach out to you to, to share their life with, like, they want you to be a part of, of their life as a mom and as a wife. And that to me is, is unbelievable. So yeah. that, yeah. So hopefully it, yeah, definitely has something to do more with people than winning, but, but mm -hmm. I do want to win. So. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Well, Allison, thank you so much for coming on the yeah. Tennis Coaches podcast. This has been a lot of fun for me and looking forward to getting it out to our coaches. Thank you. I appreciate you having us. And uh, you mentioned earlier, if you could go back and be an assistant coach, uh, you'd be one of the best. So I might need a replacement for a month or something. Come on. <laughs> I'll come volunteer for a few weeks while you, uh, on, you get used to motherhood. So you have the budget to fly me out, right? So we do. Let yep. me know. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Alice. All right. Thank you. Take care.